Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Willie Donick of 102.5 The Game. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, The Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm, Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com to find out more information. Well, Vanderbilt has won another baseball game. It has swept South Alabama in the midweek series by a 2-0 score. The last game, a 4-0 shutout of the Jaguars on Wednesday at Hawkins Field. Our guest line is presented to you by our friends at Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Willie Donick joins us now. Willie, of course, played basketball and baseball at Vanderbilt. He is the play-by-play guy for the Predators on television. Willie, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here again, Chris. Well, you're going to hit baseball and basketball. Let's start with baseball. First of all, the pitching. This is always telling to me, okay? As a staff, Vanderbilt has struck out 58 guys and walked 15 and 44 and two-thirds innings. Strikeout-to-walk ratios for individual guys. I'm just going to pick some out. Ethan Smith, 10-0. to Kumar Rocker, 9-3. to Mason Hickman, 3-2. to That will improve. Jack Leiter, 12-1. to Michael Doolin, 7-1. to Thomas Schultz, 7-0. to Sam Laboki, 3-0. to Tyler Brown, 3-1. to I mean, when you throw strikes... And don't walk guys and get ahead of hitters. That is the recipe for great pitching. Sometimes you will get hit, as Tyler Brown found out. But especially for some kids who are freshmen, those are just phenomenal numbers. It's really impressive. There's no question. I, You know, coming back with, with what they had coming back from the championship team, you looked at the pitching staff and you – I mean, I said to myself, just with those guys, you have the makings of a really good staff. And then, like you mentioned, some of these guys that we're seeing for the first time have been as advertised, at least, you know, so far. It's one outing for most of them, maybe two. Uh, but the command looks pretty good. You know, I look at the walks as well. Uh, the strikeout-to-walk ratio, as you mentioned in there, is, you know, the strikeouts just are eye-popping, but they're doing it with pretty good command. So, uh, you know, that, that looks like where they're going to have to build – we're going to build this team – around uh the next thing that's got to fall into place is the is the defense and then i think the hitting eventually will come around over time and that might take a little longer to sort out that's just my thought yeah i am totally with you on those things and by the way chance huff still hasn't pitched so that's a dozen arms that they've thrown so far a couple of them have struggled brown has struggled chris McElwain has struggled but or I guess it's McIlvain, but in any case, uh, plenty of arms there. The bats are the issue right now. 
Defense, as you said, is an issue. Dominic Keegan, Max Hurst said yesterday, yesterday being Wednesday, that they're hoping to get him back next week. I don't know if that's midweek or weekend, but whatever the case, that would change the landscape of the infield. I would presume Keegan would probably go to the bench, or not Keegan, Jones. Uh, you also had Justin Henry Malloy, who played first on Wednesday, uh, and I don't think made an error in there, which is an improvement over what they did this weekend. Anyway, a lot of parts still to be shuffled there. You know, it, it's funny. It, the, there's that balance. You want a good bat at first base, right? That's always something – that's that's always known as an offensive position. You don't want to have somebody who's a weak out there. But you do appreciate somebody who can pick it over there. You can save yourself a lot of runs over the course of the season if you've got a guy who's a solid defender there. So that, that's the balance. And as you mentioned, they've got a lot of options that they're weighing there. And as we've discussed a lot philosophically, Tim Corbin brings in a lot of guys that play in the middle of the diamond somewhere, you know, from center field, shortstop, second base, you know, the, the real athletic positions on the field. First base isn't as athletic. So you, you may not have a pure first base a lot of times on the roster that ends up being your first baseman. It's kind of like, you know, a, an off a defensive lineman becoming an offensive lineman, right? Uh, so sometimes the higher up you go, that's the switch you make. I, I think there's a lot of philosophy to that, but sometimes you have a guy that's a little raw there. The other thing I think is some questions with the hitting. Now, this team seems to be better at making contact. It has struck out 33 times in five games. That's less than seven times per nine innings, so that's a good start after what we've seen some of the last few years. But the being able to hit with power is a question. I'm not ready to say that they can't because I know that some of them, these kids can. We've seen it with Austin Martin. We've seen it a little bit with Duvall. But they are slugging 311 as a team with one home run through five games. Now, again, there is an explanation for that in some ways. That ballpark they played out in Arizona was gargantuan. I think it was 345 down the lines and 390 to the alleys. So there's that. There's also the fact that they played in cold and damp weather the last two days at home. So I don't think the ball was carrying. Well, in fact, I know it wasn't carrying at all. So that's part of it. But I think that's the other thing that we need to see is, does this lineup have some pop? Yeah, and I think, depending on who emerges as the regular players, I think he can put a lineup out there that has some pop. We had a chance on our radio show to talk to Tim Corbin yesterday about you know this whole process of sorting things out. And one of the things that's very difficult, and I went through this as a hitter, uh, when when you're sorting out the lineup and you want to give guys an opportunity. There's a lot of, for, for the player's perspective, it's tough because you get that spot start and you feel like you got to go two for four to, to keep the spot. And if you don't, and you know, we know how baseball is, right? You can have some good at-bats. Maybe the ball doesn't fall your way. Maybe you have a couple of good quality at-bats, but it, you don't end up in a, with a hit. And then somebody else goes in there, they go two for four, and they're starting the next game. And there's a lot of variables that can go into that it makes it very difficult. And so Tim Corbin acknowledged yesterday that, you know, especially when you consider guys like Steven Scott, Julian Fonte, Ethan Paul, guys who came back for their senior year, it creates a kind of a log jam. There's a lot of freshmen and sophomores. The sophomores have all been waiting 
a year to get a chance. And now these freshmen are coming in trying to find a way to get into the lineup. There's a lot of, I, I would say, great competition. But at the, at the same time, we know how badly these kids want to play. They're really good players. And so Tim Corbin was talking about that process, and he was stressing patience is so important. Let's hit basketball for a minute. Vanderbilt loses a close one to Tennessee on the heels of being blown out at Florida. That came after two games with Mississippi State and Kentucky where Vanderbilt took those teams to the wire. Some winnable games coming up starting Saturday with Georgia, which beat Auburn, but is one team at home and another on the road. Then Missouri coming up also at home. So there's a little bit of hope that maybe a couple of wins are ahead. What do you make of where the team is at this point? Well, I think uh, I continue to be impressed with uh, how they've handled everything. You, you mentioned I, I watched the Florida game, and Florida, they were honoring Billy Donovan. They were naming the court after him. The place was jacked up. Florida played great. They, they hit everything, especially in the first half. And Vanderbilt struggled. I, I think realistically, when you watch Vanderbilt play, you have to know that there are going to be some games, especially on the road, where it looks like that, where you're just overmatched on a particular night. They just, they're just they just thin in talent. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse got frustrated, I think rightfully so, on a play where uh, Matt Moyer, I thought, did get fouled pretty hard. Then he got hit from behind. And Jerry Stackhouse, I think, you know, wanted to show everybody he's, he's going to be behind his players. I, I thought that was, if there's a time that you want to uh, end up, I thought that was a good time. And then, like they have all year long, they kept playing, right? That's the one thing I that you always say about these guys is regardless of the score, they're going to play hard. And against Tennessee, they, they gave themselves a pretty good shot in the second half. They had the lead in the second, in the half, second half at times. They hung in there right to the end. You know, there, there will be a point in time where a moral victory is not good enough. But right now, you look for those small positives. And as you mentioned, Chris, they're now at a point of the schedule where they, they've gone through a really tough stretch of playing the, the, some of the best teams in the league, some of them on the road. Now they've got some games that I think they're more winnable. Now it's, trying, now it's time to get another win or two here. I think this, this is a big opportunity against Georgia for that. I'm going to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. Do you need an insurance agent who wants to know your unique needs and circumstances, and we'll tailor an insurance plan to fit them. Josh is your guy. Call him 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him at facebook.com forward slash J.D. Minton HQ. He's my agent. Give him a shot, and I think you'll be pleased. This is a great question from Memorial Magic. How has basketball officiating changed since you played? I feel like in the 80s and 90s, blocks were a pretty rare occasion, largely because most of the time they would be called fouls. You always heard, well, he got all ball, but he got him with the body. Today, people seemingly get crushed. Maybe the defender got the basketball, but he got the body or the shoulder or whatever, and often there's no call. It's very subjective. Do they allow a lot more body contact these days because it feels like it? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, there are a couple things that are, that are, that are contributing to what you're seeing there. And, and I, I think the, the, uh, the, the question is right on point. A, you have, I think, at the, at the major college level, maybe not so much at the mid-major level, I think you have more excellent rim protectors. Uh, you go back 15 or 20 years, 
you just didn't see as many block shots above rim level as you see now. Now it's, it's not anything special. If a guy goes up to try to dunk one and the ball is blocked above the rim, that used to be a real rare thing. A guy like Shaq or, you know, a rare shot blocker could do it. Now it seems like there, you know, a lot of those teams have players like that. The other thing that's happening is with the semicircle and the new rule where a shot blocker can go up vertically and not get called for a body shot, right? You can make body contact as long as he goes straight up and down. And I referenced the call that got Jerry Stackhouse thrown out of the game. The Florida player went straight up. He's allowed to do that. There was contact that was initiated by Moyer. But then the, then the Florida player comes down with his arms and rakes him across the arm. That's where the foul should have been called. That's why Jerry Stackhouse got upset. But by rule, and think about Luke Cornett, how good he was at this. Leaping up, straight up vertically, keeping that verticality. There can be plenty of contact, but the contact is initiated by the offensive player. So a guy can come flying into the, into the defender, but there's no foul called on the play. The official lets that go by rule. Now, why are the, why are the players coming in that hard to the basket? Well, let's take it out from the perimeter now. They used to allow a little bit more hand-checking, and thank goodness for me, that's the only way I could maybe keep some of these guys in front of me in the SEC, some of the guards that I was trying to check when I was in there. But now they really try to let the offensive driver drive to the basket without being hand-checked. He can't be guided in. So the speed in which these guys go to the basket, let's take Saban Lee. He really can get going to the basket. And you're going the further, the three-point line is further out, so you're building more speed as you go to the basket. So the impact that happens, you got the defender going straight up, and you've got the driver going to the basket with a lot of speed, trying to draw contact. That's what makes it tough for the officials. So I think that's what's happening as a result of these rule changes. Less hand checking and that verticality principle at the basket. It's changed a lot. If you if you put a tape in from nineteen ninety-five. 2000 I think the game looks very different oh you made some great points and the speed aspect of the game it was was one that's kind of in the back of my head but you articulated it in a way that I have not been able to you sit down close to the floor and watch games and they're really hard to call because guys are moving so quickly they're moving very quickly uh so a a lot of teams with that three-point line way out further from the basket, more people on the perimeter, less people posting up. You just have a lot more drives and cuts to the basket with those great shot blockers, right? So you have a lot of plays at the rim or right near the rim in that semicircle area, more so than before where there were a lot more plays where you threw the ball into the post, the guy would try to make a move, or you would kick it back out. That offense has been replaced just because there's so many more big men that go out and shoot. Uh, the three-point shots are, are way higher in volume. But now the counter is you want to you keep that lane open, keep the space open for the driving lanes for guys like Saban Lee to slash in there. So that, that's how it's evolved. That's why the game looks so much different now. There's one other question from Memorial Magic, and it's a little different from what he just asked. There's a lot of similarities, but I think this is an important clarification uh, that maybe you can offer after I ask this question. 
says on the block charge rule, it used to be that you either were set or you weren't. And that was the difference between a charge and a block. That is now a way more subjective call than it used to be, and it was subjective enough as it was. What happened to the rules along the way that allowed this to change? She says, back in my day, I walked to school up hills both ways, and I liked the old rules better. Uh, it, I, I think, too, I think part of it is what we were talking about, some of the same things. You have more speed going to the basket. You have more drives to the basket. What was happening, too, before they put the semicircle in there, is referees will really have a, a trouble uh, differentiating the charges. You know, you look at teams like Duke, there were a lot of teams that had, I thought, a lot of floppers, you know, just trying to throw themselves in front uh, of the offensive player. I think they tried to open up driving lanes much more so than they did before. You know, think about the time, and I don't know exactly what year it was they put the NBA semicircle in there. But anytime you make a rule change like that, there are some probably unintended consequences that you couldn't know before you made the rule. Like, I still think that the game would be better with a 45-second shot clock. I think the scores would end up being higher. There'd be more variety to the game. Uh, but I don't think that's going to come down the pike anytime soon. With the 30-second shot clock, you're going to have a lot of those plays where the shot clock's running down and the quality of the possession is not good. You're going to have a guy putting his head down, trying to create a, a tough shot, and tough calls for blocks and charges. I, I think it, it has gone different with the principle of verticality with the defender jumping up and down who doesn't have to be – he can still draw a charge by jumping, you know, if the guy jumps into him as much. And, uh, you know, the drivers put the, less, less play on the post. I think it creates a lot more situations like that. Well, there's one other thing in here, too. You talked about the hand-checking and the speed allowed to go to the basket. Think about this, too. Athletes are getting better than they were when we grew up watching basketball. That's one thing. And I know a lot of times a lot of Vanderbilt's issues the last few years have been guarding off the dribble, but it heard somebody say one time, like, who can guard the dribble? Because, like, you watch Saban Lee and Pippen and those guys, and they can get into the lane against even the elite teams they play at times. So I think just the conditions of the game have just made it also hard to guard the dribble as well. I happen to like those changes, but it is what it is. Yes. It, uh, I do think there's a lot to be said for that. The athletes uh, have evolved. They've gotten better. They, they are, they're going where the game is going, right? The trends, the coaches now look for, you know, what works in this new world of the three point line being moved back. Yeah. I need shooters. But I, I don't necessarily have to have a guy who can post up if I've got good drivers, good cutters, good guys with good vision. Uh, so that, that is part of it, too. I, I mentioned the, the number of quality shot blockers that you have now is higher. So what evolves? You have now the floaters, right? When I was playing, you weren't allowed to take a floater. You know, the, the little teardrop in the lane from six or seven feet out. Now that's a very common shot that people practice. Teams practice that to try to combat the fact that there are so many really good shot blockers that when you take the ball all the way to the basket, you were just told before, take it up strong, draw the foul. Well, that's not quite as easy as it was uh, before with, with the shot blockers out there. So now we don't see that mid-range game, the 15 to 17 footer, but you see that drive and the pull up for the teardrop a lot more than you did before. Yeah. I enjoy that play too, by the way. Um, Billy Ray Valentine with the last question. Do you expect any changes in the men's basketball staff that would improve recruiting? First of all, Billy Ray Valentine 
if that's the guy from Trading Places, is that Eddie Murphy? With Absolutely. The, with the that's Absolutely. pretty good. I do get, yes. So that, don't, don't think you're slipping that reference by me without me saying something as an 80s movie fan like I am. But uh, it's a good question. I think that's, Chris, you and I have talked about this. We, we know that Jerry Sackhouse, now that we've watched him, has got a pretty good framework. I mean, he's a good coach. Everybody, you heard what John Calipari said after the uh, Kentucky game. He's impressed with some of the stuff he's doing. We've seen improvement from almost everybody to a man. Jordan Wright had a really nice game the other day, a career high. These guys are playing with confidence. They've got the green light, and they're improving. But it is going to come out. We had Jimmy Dice on our show, echoed the same thing. He said, you got to have some dudes, is what he said. So the question for everybody is going to be, can you find players? And that's the question for any college coach. But um, how he goes about it, I'm not enough of an expert to tell you who can do it, who can't. But that is what you hear from all the people that are watching from afar and, and following the trail, who he's getting to talk to. It's a question mark right now. Willie, I know you've got to get to the work that actually pays you, which this does not do. And before I let you go, tell people where to follow you on Twitter and about your shows and anything else that you would like to promote. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm about to join the guys on 102.5 The Game, 10 to 2 every weekday. And, of course, you can follow me at Willie D 102.5. So 102.5 The Game and then Fox Sports Tennessee for the Predators. The next game is Friday night against the Chicago Blackhawks at the United States in Chicago. Thank you, Willie. Thanks, Chris. He's Willie Donick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.